Oh, I love that song. It has such a wonderfully right attitude, doesn't it? And I am more blessed than you are right now because you don't know what my message is. And the two songs that we sang this morning tie nicely into this. You might think about it later as we go through today. It just always brings me almost to tears. Right on. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm sure I'm glad to be here. May the Lord bless our time together. There is a famous quote that comes from a letter that Ben Franklin wrote. It says, Our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. People get away with paying taxes, though, don't they? But nobody gets away with death. And while many have often quoted about these two things as being sure in life, some say, oh, no, there's a third thing that's sure in life, too. You can't avoid change. Change is mandatory. And some say progress is optional. So maybe there are three sure things in life. You are born, change happens, and then you die. Well, you think about it, if you've lived any length of time, you know there's more than that, right? This morning I want to focus on a couple of those. Isn't it true that all people experience pain and suffering? Think of it. No one lives and avoids pain and suffering. No one lives without trials and tribulations. They're inevitable. They're, in a sense, guaranteed. It's so common in our life that we expend a lot of time and energy trying to uh, uh, avoid them or deal with them. But we know we can never get rid of them, can we? Sometimes we even expect it to happen. The pessimists always expect it to happen. But when you consider reality, by all rights, everybody should be a pessimist, if you think about it. But most of us, we endure the hard things in life and we live for the good things, even if the good is sparse. Yeah, it's really so bleak, we really don't like to talk about it or think about it. But we're going to do that today, because we should. Now, I know a lot of you say this morning, well, I feel just fine. Everything's just fine. But you and I both know that it's just a matter of time before you're going to run into something that frustrates you, even makes you angry. It's only a matter of time before I'm going to encounter some kind of pain, suffering, trial, or tribulation, whether I cause it or it's just completely out of my control. When we are in pain and suffering... To any degree, we just want it to stop, don't we? I just want it to stop. When will it end? We find it a hindrance to what we want to do and how we think things should be. We don't tend to see value in it and push too far when we're going through something really difficult. We say, ah, it's just not worth it. What if it was worth it? 
What if every single hard thing that happened to you could be used somehow for good in such a way, big or small, could be made worth it? Some might say right away, how is that possible? What about the really, really hard, really bad situations? How can good come out of situations like that? Well, what if even those could be turned around somehow? What if the turnaround was so great that you would always know that any time you hit a hard time, you'd be able to see the light. You'd know there was hope. And you knew for sure that everything was going to be all right. Think of all the mean, miserable, and rotten things that have happened to you. What if you could not avoid those, but that the enduring of those somehow actually produce something positive? And I am pushing this. I'm asking you. I'm saying every single hard thing, small or big, huge or tiny, without leaving anything out, what if you were guaranteed that it would be, that it would all not just be breaking even at the end, but would be absolutely even greatly profitable? Make good out of bad. Is that possible? How much better would your life be if that could happen? Well, what verse in the Bible must I be talking about? Romans 8. Romans 8, 28. That's right. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It says, and we know. I love that. What does it mean? We know for sure. It's a fact. In life, there are things we know and things we don't. This is one we know with assurance. Why? Because it's a fact out of our control. It's the truth of God. How do we know that he does this, that he's like this? How can we be so sure? Well, that's easy, too. Because he's God and he's good, right? Remember, we can do good things, but we're not good because we also can do bad things. That's not possible with God. He can only do good. He would not think of doing it any other way, right? Well, let's look more at this. It says that all things work together for good. I love the word all in the Bible. It says all things. Does he really concern himself with all things? I mean, think about it. He's mighty important, and there's a lot of big stuff going on, right? All over the world. Is he really concerned even with some of the small issues in life? The small stuff doesn't have any consequence, does it? But he says all, so that means it does. It means I should pay attention to it as well, right? Some of my most favorite answers to prayer over the years have been answers to the small things. You know why? I know some of you know the answer to this already, don't you? Because when he answers a small prayer, suddenly you're aware that he is very present. And you see how close he is to you because, yeah, I'll take care of even that small thing for you. Don't you love it? It's brought me to tears more than once in my life when he has done things like that. Does all really mean all? People tend to think God is in control of 
all and knows all, but he does not concern himself with every single little thing on planet Earth. We could not be more wrong. Look at um, Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Look at that. Jesus points out that one sparrow is only worth half a cent. Right? Very, very insignificant. I'm not putting a downer on animals, okay? But who cares about a sparrow when so much more is going on, bigger things of greater value in the world? But what does Jesus say? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. He does care, doesn't he? That brought to mind the, the, the age-old question, if a tree falls in a forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? Does anybody care? Well, think about the sparrow. I think somebody cares. Still don't believe me? I love science, and I read science stuff all the time, every week, sometimes every day, because it's fascinating to me. And I know a scientist who once explained that, you know, they know how what things are made of down to the microscopic molecular level, you know, electrons, protons, atoms. But beyond that, they cannot figure out how things are holding together. And I ran across a great article while I was preparing this message, and I wish I could share it what's in there, but I can't. But I have something better. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. What else would we see, right? For by him... All things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We know something the scientists doubt, huh? If you ever wonder whether or not God cares, knows, or is involved, the answer is a resounding yes. He is. Okay, but what about the bad things, the hard things, the devastating things that seem to change and ruin a person's life? That's okay. God's not afraid. Go ahead. Consider him involved. But now, can he make good out of it? Good out of those times of terrible anguish and misery, times of great, great pain that seem like they won't end. And some of you know what I'm talking about. And what about your life? What's going on in your life that's hard right now? Small or big? Well, I know for myself, some of the smaller things that I find particularly frustrating is when I have to fix things that are broken or when I want to make something It just never kind of comes out the way I really want it to, and I find it frustrating. And sometimes it really makes me mad. Because you're trying to do something right, and I'm going to have to do this over. Now you have the pressure of time on you and the expectation of what should happen. I find that painful. I also find painful the fact that pretty much every day of my life I live with some kind of physical pain. And I know a lot of you do too. When I was younger, I heard about people living in pain every day. And I always wondered, wow, that sounds hard. What would that be like? And then one day I realized, oh, yeah, I'm going through that too. 
at work right now, we're down to less than a skeleton crew due to some pretty faulty hiring policies of the past in my company. And everyone in my group is working really hard and doing more than their share, but some perceive that others are not working as hard as they are. Ever have that problem before? Or they're not working as hard as they are, as hard as they should be. And when this happens and things escalate, you have egos and hurt feelings clashing at a time when it's already hard, right? How do you deal with people who who can't get past how they feel so you can get to the facts. That's pretty hard. That was my plate last week. Well, I know some of you have far greater pain than me. Can God bring good out of all this? Can he handle it all? I mean, there's quite a few of us, isn't there? Not just this church, but all the churches in the world, right? And there's so many things going wrong. Some of them very, very hard. Can he do it? Well, remember, you know, he has to hold the whole universe together at the same time. And that's without taking a break, going to lunch, taking a vacation, and not being allowed to sleep. Can he handle it? I tell you this morning, if God cannot bring good out of all this, it'd be better not to be born. I would also tell you that when we don't think God cares or can bring good out of the things that happen to us, we are not talking about the God of the Bible. We're, talk, we're describing some lesser God with a little g that just exists in our mind. It's not the real God. He has all knowledge, all power, all wisdom and understanding. From him comes all of creation and all of life. He is sovereign, which means he has all control. Look at Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. He's an absolute ruler, which means he has all control. And unlike earthly rulers who can only operate from the political perspective, he made it all. He's holding everything together, and he's involved in every situation, physical or not. He's self-existent, which means he has all he needs for all things. He never runs out of resources. I love this line in a hymn we sing. It goes like this. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, and this is the part I love because of the way it's described, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. I love that. He does not change which means he is all that is right and true. He needs no change. He is eternal, which means all he is exists for all eternity. He is transcendent, which means his greatness is above all. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Jesus died for all so that it was possible for all to be saved. And where are all these truths written? They're written in this book. And what does it say about this book in Proverbs 30, verse 5? Every, or all, word of God is pure. It's all true. When God says all, he means all, and that when it comes down to it, he's able to work all good things to good for good. The question is, does he want to? Well, Romans 8.28 seems to say that, doesn't it? 
That, that does it for me. He said it. That settles it. I believe it. He does not lack knowledge, wisdom, power, and goodness. Working all things together for good is not a problem for him. So then, yes, he can take all the bad, all the ugly, all the misery, all the pain, all the trials, all the tribulation, and yes, even death itself, and bring good out of it. Isn't that great? That's our God. <clears throat> can he bring enough good out for it to really be worth it? Look at 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. It says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And i got to quote one more verse in Ephesians chapter 3. I want to look at verse 20, but I can't help but read, start at verse 14. Ephesians 3.14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask. Just ask? No, it says, or think. According to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Can God make anything in our life worth it? I tell you, he can make it far more than worth it. I want to point out something about this concept of things being worth it. First of all, God is worth anything we could go through for him, no matter what. Period. End of story. Just look at the cross and ask yourself, why would you refuse or be upset at a trial he has allowed? I just watched a movie on the life of C.T. Studd. Uh, in case you don't know him, uh, he was uh, uh, a very wealthy man. He had everything, including a lot of fame. And uh, he, went to, he gave it all up and went to be a missionary in China and lived a pretty hard life. But this is what he said, and some of you might know this quote. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. We have the privilege of a life to be used by God, however he sees fit. So we need a different mindset, don't we? When we have trouble, we've got to get away from typical thinking. Oh, I can't wait till this is over. Oh, I hope this is going to be worth it. Why does this always happen to me? Not again. Well, when we're thinking clearly, we do remember this verse, don't we? It's not a verse people have a hard time memorizing, is it? But when you think of it, do you think of it with great conviction, though, or just hopefulness that God is going to do something? When we see someone in great pain, 
Are these just nice words we say to them because we don't know what else to say and we're kind of hoping things are going to work out for them? Or are we solidly convinced that no matter how much pain we're seeing before us, that God's going to bring good out of it somehow? But there's a much bigger picture going on here than just what we see in verse 28. Here is the key. You cannot have verse 28 without verse 29. The sad thing is, and I might notice for all the years I've been a Christian, is that verse 28 is normally quoted without verse 29. Isn't it? Even if you Google these verses, they're talked about as if each stood alone, and the big emphasis is more on 28 than it is 29. And people are missing the boat. And for verse 29, there is a problem with how that verse is viewed at as well. Do you know what people focus on with verse 29? Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. There's a lot there. But do you know what the focus is on this verse when people look at it? Theology of predestination. Is that what this verse is about? Study it. These two verses sit in a section talking about Christian suffering and the fact that our God will never leave us and that he has a purpose for it all. They miss what predestination is for. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. God is working all things together to make us more like Jesus. Predestined means that these trials are supposed to happen. If it's supposed to be like this, then all really is well, isn't it? Even in the midst of chaos, God's not just barely holding things together, is he? The working and conforming are all perfectly normal in God's view because this is his goal. It has been since before time began. The idea of suffering being a bad thing or God making it worth my while has nothing to do with it. If you think about it, if I'm consumed with my suffering being over or getting rewarded somehow for the hardship I'm going through, what am I really saying? It's all about me. Is it all about me? If it's all about me, it's pretty sad. If I take that stance, I take the low road and I miss out something really incredible and that's the goal of God, to make me more like Jesus. To make me more like Jesus. Let's ponder that for a second. Why would I want to be more like Jesus? Well, let me ask you this. What if you don't get to be more like Jesus? Would that bother you? In our natural state of mind, we tend to be prideful. Here's a question to ponder. What if everybody in the world was exactly like you? If your mind is set on the spirit, you and I both know what a horrendous thing that would be. (laughs) (laughs) Now ask the question, what if everyone was just like Jesus? Well, that would be heaven, wouldn't it? Doesn't that make you want to be more like him? Doesn't that make you want everyone else to be more like him? 
Can you place a value on what it would be to be more like him? What would you pay for it? You can't afford it, but neither can you buy it. The real question is, is how can you and I be changed to be more like him? Right? What would it take? Hmm. Well, let's see. I can't be omnipotent like he is, but I can love like he does, can't I? We find that to be hard at the outset, though, right? Because he says, love my enemies. And uh, we're easily repulsed at that thought, aren't we? But if you've been around for a little while walking the Lord, you know we have found that when we love like God, that there's nothing like it, is there? Think about it, this too. Does God love to love us? You talk about he does love us. Does he love to love us? He really does. Think about Jesus' attitude about the cross as he went to Jerusalem, right? Mind set like a flint. He was focused. He was going, heart bursting, anxious to save us because of how much he really cared for us. Does he love to love us? Oh, he so loves us. It's not something that he does in a mediocre halfway. What would it take to get me to love like that? What does God have to do to help me to love like that? I'm going to have to learn, aren't I? It's not a love I'm used to, and it's not normal for me, and it's going to take time. And I'm going to need some practice, huh? Right. And each of us is unique. What it takes for me to love like Jesus is different than what it takes for you. This is why you should never be surprised at what God allows in your life or what he allows in the lives of others. You don't know everything he does. And the truth is, you don't know yourself as well as he does. And so you can never say, he doesn't know what he's doing. Right? When I think about what it would take to make me more like Jesus, I realize God has his hands full. There's a lot of work to be done. Right? My having godly character, though, is not going to come from living an easy life, is it? You know what makes your life what it is? Think about it. As we talked about pain and suffering that will happen. How you respond to the things that happen to you, good or bad, makes your life what it is, isn't it? And we know people who have made their lives pretty miserable, haven't we? You cannot control this world. Things are going to happen to you. How are you going to respond to them? Well, you can have a pity party and invite everybody to it. You know people who do this. Perhaps you're like that too. Or you can let God use all things for the good that they will do in making you more like Jesus. So let's stop laughing and saying things like, be careful what you pray for. Don't pray for patience or you know what will happen. What does that imply? Well, God's going to do something and it won't be good. Is that right? It's not right at all, is it? We shouldn't joke about it. Because God is serious about this, isn't he? No, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be more patient. You don't want to be more like him? Well, that's what you're saying, right? Of course he's going to do something. I'm not like Jesus. And you know what? 
He doesn't want me to remain like that. And if I had any sense, I wouldn't either. Right? He's serious about me changing. The question is, is am I serious? My being patient would be far better for me than for me to stay the way I am. We talk about the patience of Job. What about the patience of God, right? Think of what he goes through to get us to be more like him. But you know, our Lord is so wonderful. He's so great. Before the world was here, God was on the throne and the angels worshipped him. And that was easy for them to do because he is so great and he's so majestic. But it wasn't that alone. He is wonderful. He really is. If the world only knew how incredible God was, we would have to build more churches and close all businesses on Sunday. When you read about his compassion towards the hurting and the sick, when you see him feed thousands of people, when you see him rescue people from the sins of the religious leaders, when you see him commend virtue, when you see how meticulously he wrote this book and how carefully he preserved it for you, when you see the cross and the mercy that was made available to you and me, because he could not stand the thought of us being punished. How can you help but love him? Are you not compelled to live for him? Don't you love to come here and worship him? Don't you love how he's changed your life and changed the lives of the other people down here so we love coming here and being together? It's Jesus that's making the difference because most of us might not have anything to do with each other if it wasn't for him. Well then, don't you want to be more like him? Can you think of anything more important or of more value? Let's get on the same page as God and let him use all things to conform us to the image of his son. If everyone in the church worldwide was greatly determined to be conformed, we would cause a revolution because the world would notice, just like it did when the apostles first went out and turned the world upside down. Others would be drawn to God. They couldn't help it. We would really be a light like we should be. Imagine what would happen if God could complete it in us, the image of his son, right now, today. So there's a bigger work going on than we see most of the time, isn't there? But if we'll focus on seeing what he's really doing, we can walk through it instead of worrying about it or resisting it. Now listen, don't get me wrong. It is hard. I really had some real struggles this past week, no doubt, to get me ready for this message. I know the pain is great, but you know what? God knows too. He knows what we're going through, every single one of us. He knows exactly what we're going through. And he's not mean, nor is he a cruel taskmaster. But you know what? He's not willing that we should stay where we are. Right? The truth is, sometimes we know exactly what God is, why God is doing something in our lives, don't we? He will do exactly what I need him to do in every situation. Next time you think that something's too hard for you, remember that. The Germans are famous for their skills in making machines, aren't they? They're known for their precision work, and it's a beautiful thing to see something work with such exactitude and function. How do you think God does when it comes to precision work? Hmm? Consider his ability in the application of Romans 8 to our lives. He is able to use the exact situations the perfect person or persons at the precise time 
in the exact intensity for the exact duration is needed to turn out in me exactly what he wants. It's not possible for him to allow us into a situation and then say, oops, too much. It's very possible that we quit too soon though, right? God is not a quitter though, especially where we are concerned. Let's be like him in everything, right? Be confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. There's so much more to say on this subject. I could preach a long time on this, but I'm going to leave you with a couple of things that you can go look up. Some of you have Bill McDonald's devotional one day at a time. Go and look at May 28th. It ties in beautifully with this message. And then I want to tell you about one other book, too, as well. Some of you might have read this, but you might not have thought of this. You've read Pilgrim's Progress, and it's an allegory to being saved and walking with God, right? It's probably a book we ought to read once a year, right? Here's another book we could read once a year, too. It's called Hind's Feet on High Places. I read that book a long time ago, and then I bought a children's version of it and read it to my kids. And since my kids have been grown, I've actually read that book about a half a dozen more times. And it occurred to me as I, as I was making this message that that book describes Romans 8, 28, and 29 really well, what it's like to go through that. So if you want some more study and encouragement to see how things work, how God changes our lives, those are two really good sources. You could check that out. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you this morning that you were not willing that we perish, but you saved every single one of us and you wish to save more. And you're not willing that any of us should stay like we are and you want to make us more like the most wonderful person we know and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord with the things in our life that we tend to be resistant at, help us to get rid of the things that keep us from you making progress in our lives to make us more like Jesus. We love him and we want to be more like him and we want everybody else to as well, Lord. May you use this time, use your word in a powerful way in each one of us to bring you the glory you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.